Hello and welcome to a special episode of the UK Law Weekly podcast. Recently I had the opportunity to give an interview with law101.info where we talked about a range of things including my career and some of my thoughts about the legal system. If you are an aspiring or current law student then I would definitely recommend checking out law101.info as they have some amazing resources. I'll leave a link in the podcast description. Anyway, that's enough of an introduction. Here is the interview. I am so glad to have a Marcus Cleaver with us today. Mr. Cleaver has a master's in law followed by three years teaching at Huddersfield University. Then he worked three years at legislation.gov.uk and he is currently coming up to three years now working on West Law. And in the meantime, Mr. Cleaver has developed his own YouTube channel, as well as his podcast called UK Law Weekly, which updates on recent Supreme Court, UK Supreme Court cases. So, Mr. Cleaver, um, just the first question, quite general and quite, um, I guess, generic. Why did you decide to pursue law in the first place? Oh, uh, yeah, thank you. And thank you for having me. Uh, It's a real privilege to be here. And and please uh, just call me Marcus. That's (laughs) totally fine. Um, uh, Honestly, the reason I decided to pursue law in the first place was because I thought it was going to make me a lot of money. Um, And that's like the honest answer. Um, I thought I was going to go and sort of like, you know, go to a big city firm and make loads of money and, you know, sort of do that sort of traditional lawyer thing that you kind of see in TV shows and movies where it's like you're working all day just to try and sort of finish this case. And, you know, and and I sort of soon realised that that was kind of a, a bad motivation for going into the law. You know, it's it's not as dramatic or as sort of high profile as it seems in those TV shows and in those movies. Um And so my original motivation sort of changed. And as I did my law degree, um, I sort of ended up sort of really pursuing it for the intellectual engagement. So I found it, you know, really challenging and it developed certain skills, you know, like my writing skills and, you know, argumentation skills and things like that. So um, I went in it for I went into it for the wrong reasons. And I think I'd like to think that I've stayed in it for the right reasons. Yes, that's really interesting. So you touched upon how you like the intellectual engagement with it. So can you just tell us more about like, is there any particular field of law that um, you have been um, spending your time in? Yeah, I think there's quite a few really. Um, I suppose that one of the areas where I'm most interested in, um, and this was where my master's was based around, is an area called jurisprudence, which is uh, uh, essentially the philosophy of law. Um, and I find that really interesting just because there's different thinkers through the ages. And when I say through the ages, I really mean it because, you know, you can really trace it back to Plato if you want to go back far enough. And there's different sides to different arguments within jurisprudence about, you know, what is the correct way to think about law? And on a day to day basis, it's very easy to get into the idea of sort of, you know, one side of the argument versus another side of the argument, you know, within sort of like, say, a divorce case or something like that. And I think jurisprudence is really interesting because it sort of says, well, let's just take a step back and let's think about the nature of law itself. You know, some philosophers would argue that, you know, we shouldn't even have a legal system. And that kind of revolutionary thinking is is really 
interesting um and it, it it adds a political dimension to the debate as well which is which is something that's quite fascinating too so yeah i guess if, if there was one area that i had to pick out where that element of debate comes in it, it's it's jurisprudence you know just because of that higher level debate um although i suppose there is other other areas you know within say family law or tort law or criminal law where you know there's more everyday debates Yes, that sounds really interesting. So um, you said that you were interested in, in jurisprudence. Like, was it different from what you originally expect you would be, for instance, like maybe criminal law? I guess a lot of young students are aspiring to like become, a, I guess, a, an attorney or like a barrister or something like that. Have you ever thought about that? Or were you this kind of like intellectual person like wants to get into academia? Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, I definitely sort of pursued down the academia route. But then, you know, when I was when I was teaching at Huddersfield, you know, one of the courses that I was responsible for was was mooting. And mooting is, um, you know, you have like a mock courtroom and the students both take two sides of an argument and they go away and do the research and, um, you know, then argue that case as if it was a real court case and present it as if they were barristers or solicitor advocates and you know so I definitely sort of have a familiarity with that side and you know I think for any aspiring young law students I think I think something like mooting is 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 really worth you know getting into as for me you know I think there are there are interesting debates to be had within every single subject area within law so if it is criminal law or if it is family law or immigration law that someone is really interested in I guess, you know, part of my advice to them would be to think about what are the central debates within that particular area of the legal system. Obviously, you're going to be having debates about within a particular case. So an immigration case might be, should someone stay in the UK or should they be deported from the UK? But there's going to be a wider question there about, you know, what should our deportation policy be? And I think that that's kind of one of the things that I try and get across in my podcast as well is sort of let's try and think about not only the case that we have in front of us, but also what's the higher level? What is this saying about our legal system and our political system and our economic system um, within that thing? So, yeah, definitely sort of for any students, just think about those areas that they're sort of interested in, but try and think about um, the debates to be had within that area. Yes, I re- totally agree with that. And um, so you talked about how um, you're doing a podcast and um, I've, wa- I've, I've listened to loads of it. I really liked it. Um, so do you think that was your greatest, I mean, greatest accomplishment um, or do you think um, you have other accomplishments that you're more, more proud of? Um, it's difficult to say, really. I, 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 when you're talking about defining an accomplishment, I guess different people will see that in different ways. And my aim throughout my professional career, but also, you know, my side career doing things on YouTube or with the podcast or things like that, has just always been to sort of try and help people as much as I can. So when I define my greatest accomplishment or something like that it would definitely be in the context of have I helped you know law students to achieve the grades that they want and um you know a lot I get a lot of positive feedback you know from the podcast and I think that has quite a wide audience because it's not just 
law students, you know, whether that's A-level or doing their degree or professional solicitors, you know, I think everyone's interested in those cases and get something from them. So it, it does help a lot of people. But I'd probably say greatest accomplishment was sort of, you know, starting the YouTube channel and probably getting that up to a good number of subscribers. And, you know, a lot of the comments on the YouTube channel are consistently very positive because I think that people um, get a lot out of them and it helps them to maybe understand things that they either maybe misunderstood in a lecture or wasn't explained to them very well, or, or simply the fact that you can press pause on a YouTube video, which you can't always do if someone's explaining something live in a lecture, although I guess there are more recordings now. Yes, definitely. Like I watched one of your videos on um, the human rights one. I think it was really um, fascinating and it was really clear to me, like as like a beginner of law, of learning law, like what it's all about. So um, you, um, so what is your main drive behind creating podcasts and website? Like what, how did you thought of creating podcast for like just just talking about UK Supreme Court as well as doing the whole YouTube channel? Um, the YouTube channel started first and I started that when I was still a lecturer. And one of the reasons or motivations behind it was um, kind of like a simplicity thing at first. So I had a lot of students who would come up to me and say, I wasn't able to attend this lecture. Can you sort of explain to me what I missed? And you, you sort of smile and sort of say, well, that, that was a 50 minute lecture. And I, can't, I can't really be giving it out sort of, you know, three or four times to the different people who missed this lecture. Um, and so the idea originally was just basically to sort of create these videos that hopefully people would be able to look at and they would be able to understand. And if they did miss the lecture that I was giving on a particular topic, then there would be a, a video to be referred to. And so I, I, there wasn't any expectation when I started the YouTube channel to, that I would have any subscribers at all. You know, it was just sort of like, here's a YouTube link. If you're struggling, then, you know, you might find this useful. Um, and then as I put more videos up there, it sort of became obvious that it wasn't just students at Huddersfield University who were finding it popular, uh, finding it useful, sorry, um, it was sort of students across the UK and, and even further afield, you know, a, a, a lot of the YouTube videos are about EU law. So I have a lot of students from Ireland and Malta and places like that who um, have found it useful as well. Um, and so it sort of grew. So then when I left Huddersfield, um, I sort of continued to do it, even though I wasn't teaching anymore, um, just because of the popularity um, and then the podcast kind of emerged out of that. It was sort of like, well, how, what else can I do? And I think one of the things was that when I, when I left Huddersfield, you know, because I wasn't teaching anymore, there wasn't the same obligation on me to try and keep up with the latest developments in the law. So I was thinking, well, what's the best way that I can do this personally? And that was sort of, you know, reading those um, different legal cases, but in particular the Supreme Court cases, because obviously that's the highest court in the land, so they're the most influential decisions. And then, of course, I just thought, well, if I'm reading this, you know, there's going to be other people who would want a breakdown of this, so I shouldn't really just hog this knowledge to myself. I should try and explain those decisions to other people. And so, um, yeah, again, again <laughs> the sort of podcast emerged out of that, and you know. It was a similar thing with the YouTube channel in terms of growth. I was doing it for my own benefit, really, as much, you know, originally. 
because I just wanted to sort of have something that I could, you know, it would prompt me to read the Supreme Court cases, but then it grew in popularity because more people sort of also found it useful. So um, that, that was kind of where it came from. Yes, yes. And um, do you think um, these experiences like making YouTube videos and making podcasts um, changed or impact you in any way? Um, uh, in what sense do you, do you mean? Uh, like if you have any additional skills or, um, or do you think you were better in communication through podcasts, like presenting um, a case in podcasts and things? um yeah I mean definitely like video editing and audio editing is never something that I thought I would really have any skills in at all at the start of my degree so um on a very practical level that's something that I've learned and grown in and um uh, hopefully the the editing on the YouTube videos and the podcast shows a certain amount of growth mm. there because I think some of the early videos are a, a little bit ropey but um yeah, in terms of actually presenting the cases, I definitely think that, you know, while I was doing it, while I was teaching, it it made it, uh, it made me a better teacher um, because it was sort of forcing me to explain things um, in a way that I hoped would be simple enough for a wide audience, um, which isn't to say I was dumbing it down. There's a fine line between sort of dumbing something down and making something simple and accessible and I think that throughout the YouTube videos and through the podcast it's that's kind of the fine line that I've sort of tried to sort of wend my way down and and, and hopefully it's something that I've, I've I've got better at through the years um, and you know certain cases you know you read them and they sort of make you reflect and change your mind and you know when you do things over a number of years you sort of see a certain amount of change and growth in the law and and that's that's kind of interesting in itself as well yes um and i just want to quickly jump back um to um while um you have been working in legislation.gov.uk um so can you just tell us more about your role in that organization yeah i mean so um as an introduction in case people haven't heard of it before legislation.gov.uk is a website that is run by the UK government and publishes all legislation across the UK. So um, not only from Parliament, but from the Welsh Assembly and the Scottish Parliament and the Northern Ireland Assembly um, and attempts to sort of keep that up to date. Um, and this means that there's sort of thousands of pieces of legislation that get published every year. So obviously most people will have heard of acts of parliament, but there's also something called statutory instruments, which are basically passed by government ministers. And these were used quite a lot in particular um, during coronavirus times. So with COVID-19, there was a, a need for um, the government to react quickly to different situations. And so you'll have something like the Public Health Act 1984, which grants ministers a range of powers and statutory instruments are the ways that the ministers use those powers. So the statutory instrument will basically say there is a national emergency because of the coronavirus. Um, we need to make sure that people wear masks or something like that. And so you have lots of these smaller instruments that come in throughout the year. But 
you know, they, they, they will deal with a whole range of things. It will be road traffic things. It will be electoral districts. And so there's thousands of these that come through a year. And my role at legislation.gov.uk was just to make sure that they got onto the website as soon as possible. Um, so especially for something like emergency legislation, it was really important that as soon as Parliament had said, yes, this is the law, um, that that was available for people to see it, because a huge part of, you know, the rule of law is people are able to sort of go and read what the law says and critique it and, you know, make sure that they understand it. So um, that was essentially my role um, on a more technical level. I was sort of helping to make sure that all of the formatting was consistent and that um, the data that was picked out of the instruments was there and available. So at the end of the year, you'd be able to see which government department produced the most instruments per year or, you know, certain departments they would increase and people who were doing academic research would be able to look into that. So um, on a basic level, that's, that's, that was my role at legislation.gov.uk. Yes. So um, working in this organization, um, what do you think are the, I guess, things that you think people get wrong about legislation process or the UK legislation? Um, that's a difficult one to say. I think that, um, as I say, that the role of statutory instruments is probably the big one. So most people will think of acts of parliament um, and they are, you know, important um, in terms of how they're produced each year. Um, but then there's also these statutory instruments which will often change each other or change acts of parliament or, you know, make different substitutions to the law. Um, and I think that people, maybe the greatest misunderstanding is that UK law is kind of like a living thing. So it's always changing and always growing on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, there will be three or four SIs just published today um, and they will make changes to the law that, you know, maybe there is sort of like certain specific area. But I think that the idea that law in the UK is a living, growing organism is quite um, an interesting thing that is often overlooked by people. And that has that has advantages and disadvantages compared to a system like in France or America, where the law tends to be more stable um, and doesn't change as much. Yes. So um, during this process, what do you think is the hardest part about working in as as a part of legislation.gov.uk and what do you think is the part that you enjoy the most about it? Um, I think that the hardest part is just sort of understanding sort of being a part of government. There are sometimes issues around funding. Um, you know, it's, it's not always easy to do that. Um, working for the civil service is quite rewarding because you do feel like you're doing something for the public good you know and as i say one of the main motivations for joining was i was very much aware of that service and i realized how important it was for members of the public to have that access and so it, it felt it, it the best part of the job was sort of feeling that you're sort of at the front line of democracy essentially by making sure that, you know, the law was available for people to see and to understand. 
Um, but yeah, there were certain certain difficulties just around sort of funding for certain things and certain projects, and that can obviously change depending on um, the government and things like that. Um, and you know, there's there's even like a weird thing where you know, I during the time that I was there, you know, the um, Brexit legislation was coming through, and you know, I was sort of pro Remain, and you know, it's difficult to be working on something where politically you're opposed to it but because it's been passed by parliament and because there's been a referendum you obviously have that that duty there to actually fulfill um you know the will of parliament and the will of the people so you know there's uh, there's certain difficulties in that regard yes so it's really interesting to see how you change your career from like teaching to becoming a civil servant and then right now working on Westlaw. So um, what caused you to change from one to the other and then changed to Westlaw? Um, I think that within, within teaching, there's sort of, uh, there's a lot going on in higher education at the moment. Um, where there is much more focus placed on academic research as compared to actually teaching students and making sure that they have a good experience. And, and that, that differs from university to university, but there is a general trend within the higher education environment that uh, leads more towards valuing that research over offering quality of teaching. Um, and with that, with that change, I didn't really like the way that that was going. You know, for me, it's always been about sort of helping students and making sure that they get the most out of their experience in higher education, rather than being sat in like a dusty office with a load of books and, you know, doing my own research for 20 years that no one will eventually read. Um, so that was that was probably the reason why I left higher education. Um, I enjoyed working at um, legislation.gov.uk, you know, because of that democratic element. Um, I think that by the, the end there, there was just certain budgetary pressures and there wasn't enough sort of support really in terms of um, just the way that projects were run, things like that. Um, I think that they probably needed more funding than they were getting. And so Westlaw is kind of, I guess, like the private sector version of legislation.gov.uk. So it was kind of a natural fit for me. Um, and I still do good work there, but obviously it's kind of behind a paywall. So um, I've kind of gone to the dark side a little bit. There. <laughs> um, you know, the, there's, there's less of those same issues. Yes. So how do you think these experiences um, impact your view on the UK legal system as a whole? So from like a um, lecturer to working as a civil, civil servant and right now as a researcher? Um, it's difficult to say because I think that's, that's kind of like a very broad question. Um, I think that it's sort of, it certainly increased my understanding of the legal system and also some of like the politics that's that's involved. Um, I think it's just sort of like a greater understanding that I think when I started my degree and maybe even when I was starting before teaching, it was kind of like the law was a perfect whole and, you know, there was sort of like certain debates on the outskirts around 
you know, how we should approach legal questions and things. But I think that there are, my understanding now is that there's sort of like maybe a greater number of questions and that we should continue to challenge aspects of the law that we don't agree with, even if they run to the heart of what we would consider, you know, standard practice for the law. In other words, just because something has been done in a certain way for the past 50, 100, 200 years, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's the it's the right way to do it. Um, and, you know, that I think that the system is is certainly open to abuse um, and it's worrying that, you know, um, that that is certainly possible. Um, yes. So you said how you were um, specialized in like jurisprudence. So do you think you're a pragmatist in terms of viewing the legal system or or how would you like identify yourself as? Uh... Yeah, I, I, um, I'm not necessarily sure I am necessarily much of a, a pragmatist. I think pragmatists are sort of better at, at getting things done. Um, I guess I'm sort of more of like a, I try and think a bit more deeply about things without necessarily there being like a sort of practical objective. So if I, if I see that there is a problem in the law, with the law, you know, my initial thought isn't, oh, well, that means that you know, this is a policy that's supported by the Scottish National Party, so they need to get this many number of seats in order to um, get through it. You know, I think I think my view is a bit more um, philosophical and sort of thinking, okay, well, if this is if this is the way that I think that the law should change, then you know, maybe we need to sort of, if that is, if that was a policy that benefited Scotland, for example then we need to think more clearly about Scottish independence and what does that mean for the United Kingdom as a whole? And is it correct that, um, you know, Scotland should, you know, break away from the rest of the United Kingdom? Um, should they have that opportunity to do so? So I, I, I guess it's a little bit more philosophical than my, my approach than pragmatist, which isn't very helpful. But it's, um, that's the way I look at things. Yes. So if you were able to change one part of the UK legal system, what would it be? Um, it's difficult to say, really. I think um, I'm not necessarily sure that I would agree with having like a constitution or something. I know that a lot of people would say that. I kind of like the flexible approach that we have in the UK at the moment. Um, but I think that generally there should be a greater trend towards sort of um liberty um in terms of how we look at the law um and i just think that you know you can a lot of a, on a philosophical sense a lot of things can come back to the sort of aggression principle which is the idea that you shouldn't really do harm to another person or a person should be free to live their life and you shouldn't really be intervening in that and that kind of, I, that this is the advantage of having a philosophical approach to the law is that i can give you that as my answer and then it affects a lot of things so you know it, it, it non-intervention in people's lives would basically allow a freer immigration program because we shouldn't really be getting involved in people who are you know coming to the uk or stopping them necessarily coming in um, you know, it, it affects tax law because, you know, to what extent should 
people be intervening in your own financial affairs? You know, what right does the government have to say to, you know, intervene and take money away from you in order to fund services? And some of those services are good, but there's also a lot of waste within government. And then, it, you know, it has has the advantage of sort of even certain ethical questions as well. So things like transgender rights and things like that, you know, what right does the government have to say over the way that, you know, those people choose to live their lives and place regulations over how they how they approach things? So um, I've, I've slightly cheated your question, I'm afraid. Yes, thank you so much. And I would just like to move on to the last part. And I guess this is what our audience are hoping for. So for aspiring law students, um, so do you have any advice for them? First um, of all? Yeah, I, I mean, I, th I think you're an A-level student at the moment. That's right, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and I think with I think even before doing A-levels or something like that, so maybe if someone's sort of like at GCSE level or maybe if they're even before GCSE level, I know that there's like a lot of choices in terms of what subjects to study. Um, and people might think about, you know, career in the law um, and sort of be directing their choice of subjects towards that goal. Um, and I think I think the main thing is sort of obviously good grades are important, but I think it, it, the way to get good grades is to do subjects that you enjoy so even if you know someone for example might really enjoy doing biology but because they want to be a lawyer they might think oh well I'm not going to pick biology because I don't think it will help me towards that goal and I think that at GCSE or at A level I think that that's kind of the wrong approach I think that you kind of need to pick the subjects that you enjoy because you're going to then have that passion for learning that subject you're going to pick up relevant skills along the way and then you're going to hopefully get a good grade because it's something that you actually enjoy studying. Whereas if you say picked history because you thought, oh, well, that's kind of related to the law a little bit more than biology, but you just didn't enjoy it, you didn't engage with it, you just didn't find it interesting, then I think that you're going to really struggle further along um, because it's going to affect your grades, it's going to affect your motivation for learning. And I think that my advice for students sort of coming out of that and trying to make it into more general advice would be to just always try and maintain that passion for learning different things. And that might be watching YouTube videos that sort of teach you how to do different skills, or it might be reading different books about, you know, subjects that you enjoy. But I think the main thing is to just to try and, you know, throughout your entire life, just have that passion for learning and just always be open to new ideas and new ways of thinking and, you know, be intellectually curious, I guess, would be, be my advice. Yes. So um, do you think, like, apart from intellectual curiosity, um, what other skill skills do you think um, an aspiring law student should have? Um, I think that working on writing is really important and reading and writing are always going to be sort of like the core skills that you have. A lot of your um, things on a law degree or law A level or anything like that is going to be based around essay writing. There's not really a, such a practical element to it. Um, and I think that writing is one of the skills where um, the more that you have a chance to practice it, the better you will become at it. Um, so. 
even if that's not necessarily writing something for school, if it's writing, you know, even if you're into writing like short fiction or something like that, that's going to be a beneficial skill because you're thinking about language when you're writing. And so much of the law comes down to down to language and interpretation of language. And, you know, so many of the cases that I talk about on the podcast come down to like the interpretation of a single word. But it's not it's never just about that one word and sort of like looking in the dictionary to see what that word means. It's all about understanding that word in context. And that context can be thousands and thousands of pages of law, legal material, political debates, you know, books and things like that. And I think that the way that you build that up yourself as like a law student is just basically to be doing a lot of writing, doing a lot of reading and just always being sort of um, like I say, it comes back to that intellectual curiosity to an extent but definitely sort of take advantage of any opportunities that you have to sort of write a lot or read a lot um, or even engaging in things like um, debate or drama societies or anything like that, you know, just anything that's going to sort of get you using language because that's what a lot of law comes down to. Yes. So um, then what, is the most common mistake that you see um, among the law students that they will make that um, you wish maybe um, future law students could avoid? Yeah, that's a, that's, that's a difficult one. I think that there's sort of um, one, I, I, I would say not necessarily a, 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 a mistake that law students generally make, but I think that one that I made myself which I would hope other people might be able to learn from. And I do see this sometimes with other law students is kind of getting very bogged down in details when it comes to like an essay. Um, so when you're answering like a law essay, it will generally be a pretty broad question. So it will be something like, um, should there be capital punishment in the UK or, you know, to what extent should the law on privacy be enforced within the law or something like that? And there's a temptation then to sort of go away and do your research. And part of your research might be to look at one particular case um, or a number of cases. Uh, but then within those cases, you tend to get sort of like bogged down in details of that case. And so your essay will then often result in just sort of talking in particular detail um, about that case and not actually answering the overall question. So my, my mistake that I tended to make on these sorts of essays was um, I would get bogged down in details of a particular case or a particular argument and then not really address the broader question that I have going on, um, which I think it's really important. So that's why I say when I'm sort of like, you know, teaching students about writing essays or writing responses to problem questions, every single paragraph has to relate back to that sort of central question. And so going off on a tangent or getting bogged down in the details is really doesn't work. Yes. So then, um, what are your recommendations for things um, for like aspiring law students, um, like for instance, books or like courses 
that you think they should check out, they, they should definitely check out if they are interested in law? Um, I mean, obviously, my YouTube channel and podcast, <laughs> um, just because that's sort of like a, um, it's kind of like bite-sized chunks. So if you're kind of interested in a particular area, then the chances are that there's either a podcast episode about that area or there is a YouTube video about that area and they're only sort of 10, 20 minutes. So they're, 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 and I, they're aimed at sort of like a broad audience. So it's people who are maybe not even thinking about a career in law, but are just generally interested. So they tend not to be too overly complicated. Um, but beyond shameless self-promotion, I would probably have to sort of say, um, keeping an eye on sort of like the news is like a really good way of just keeping on top of things. One of the things that I say in the first week to law students is that law is essentially very closely related to politics. Um, and understanding that is going to be key, because if you understand that the law isn't some sort of like, you know, golden shrine established on stone, you know, um, completely unchangeable, then I think that you're going to start off on the wrong foot. Law is related to politics and it changes based on the political environment and the political climate. And therefore trying to understand the politics around that is really important. And the best way to do that is to often sort of read newspapers or go on news websites and just, even if it's just watching a 20 second clip on the news or something about what the latest headlines are, it's going to give you a sort of better understanding of what that political environment is. And you can probably get then get a sense for like, okay, well, this is probably going to affect the law in some way. And you almost become a bit of like a fortune teller in that way, because you can see what the law is almost going to look like in a few years time, because of the sort of policies or the priorities of the government. So definitely getting involved with that. Um, uh, I, I can't think of uh, other things, but reading fiction is quite fun as well. Um, and definitely sort of like broadening your reading so that you're enjoying your reading as well. Um, it doesn't have to be law related. So, you know, just uh, reading novels and things like that. It's just another way of engaging with language that, you know, isn't to be dismissed. Mm -hmm.